Good morning, everybody. Look, uh, I know it's Switzerland, and I know it's Sunday morning, but I was hoping for a slightly warmer response than that, to be honest. <laughs> but I'll take it. Uh, I actually want to start our time together this morning by, by posing a question, by asking you a question. In fact, why don't we do a little mini-survey, a snap survey quickly, and so this is where you need to participate, you need to raise your hands if it's applicable to you. And uh, don't worry, Piet's not here, and so you're secretly safe with me, I won't, we won't put you out of the church. <laughs> but the question is just this, how many of you would say that in, let's say, the last six months or so, you have found God to be distant? Perhaps you would even go as far as saying that God has been hiding from you. Anyone? Or perhaps in the last 12 months you have been crying out to God and He doesn't seem to hear you. You know the feeling. God, where are you? Followed by a deafening silence. It sounds vaguely familiar. Okay, it's at this point that that uh, I will preach this message to the three or four of you that were courageous and brave. <laughs> and the rest of you can come back next Sunday and we'll do a talk on living your life in an open and honest Christian community, <laughs> right? Right, before I get too silly, let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 77, please. Father, this morning as we open your word, we want to thank you that you speak to us through this book, that you bring revelation, that you reveal yourself to us. It's a magnificent thing, Lord. And this morning, I want to thank you for revelation, but I want to call on you for transformation. I pray, Lord, that somehow through Whatever means this is delivered, that somehow, God, for those of us who know you, would fall more in love with you. And those of us on the journey of discovering you will begin to see the magnificence of God that we sang about this morning. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, Psalm 77 says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days. The years of long ago, I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will He never show His favor again? Has His unfailing love vanished forever? Has His promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful has he in anger withheld his compassion? And we'll stop there for now. We'll return to the rest of the psalm a bit later. But Psalm 
77 was written by a guy called Asaph. In fact, Asaph wrote many of the Psalms. And King David appointed Asaph as his worship leader. Because he saw in Asaph a man who clearly loved God. Asaph knew God. And so David appointed him as worship leader because he could lead God's people into his presence. This was our friend Asaph. And from this psalm, we see that there was a time that Asaph had a wonderful close relationship with God. He knew about God's goodness, God's presence, God's power. And we know that this is not something unusual, my friends. This is not the exception. For those of us who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ this morning, you need to know that that's the norm. That God's presence and His power is in our lives. That is what the Bible promises us. Romans 5 says God will pour His love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That word pouring, some commentators call it flooding. God wants to flood our lives with His presence this morning. doesn't matter how isolated you feel, how distant you feel, how lonely you feel. You need to know that God is closer than the clothes you wear. And He will access depths of you that no other human love ever can. That's what it means. Roll on to Romans 15. We read this prayer, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in Him, so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, a soul filled with hope, peace, and joy. I cannot think of anything better. And note that these feelings are not self-generated. They are spirit-generated. This does not depend on me getting out of bed and saying, today I'm going to pull it off. Today I'm going to make God work for me. No, it's got nothing to do with me. It's generated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then roll on to Ephesians 3. Where we read this, I pray that you may grasp how long and how wide and how deep is the love of God and that you may experientially know His love in a way that transcends mere intellectual knowledge. The scripture says, may this love of God that's poured out on our lives, may it come from our heads and settle in our hearts. And my friends, this is not an empty promise. And Asaph knew this. He lived in that space. He enjoyed God's closeness and His presence and His power. Oh, but of late, it seems like God has left the room. And no matter how much he prays and cries out to God, he feels utterly abandoned. He feels that God has gone into hiding. He feels he's encountering the God that quite frankly none of us want to encounter. The God who doesn't seem to be there. Verse 2 he says, At night I stretch out my untiring hands. I would not be comforted. Verse 8, Has your unfailing love vanished forever? You see Asaph is lying awake at night in bed. He's crying out to God. He says, God, where are you? I need you in my life. I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. Where are you, God? 
seems like God has gone into hiding. Now, I don't have to tell you that you and I have all had our Asaph moments, right? Despite you not putting up your hand this morning. In fact, some of you may be this morning experiencing an Asaph moment. And the Bible is littered with stories who has experienced Asaph moments. Some of our modern-day super-spiritual heroes have suffered the same fate. Mother Teresa, Nobel priest-winning, uh, uh, known for her work that she'd done in the streets of Calcutta, and she was, she was famous for this thing that she was always walking around with a smile. She would encourage all the nuns that worked with her. She would say, this is my joy to serve the Lord. Mother Teresa. Wow. When she died, the Catholic Church released some of her memoirs. Let me read a few extracts to you. Mother Teresa speaking. She says, they say people in hell suffer eternal pain because of the loss of God. In my soul, I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me. Not a single thought of heaven enters my mind, for there is no hope. I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. And in a letter to a friend, she writes this, Jesus has a very special love for you. As for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see and listen and do not hear. I'm talking about experiencing a sense of the absence of God. And my friends, all of us will experience this from time to time. Different lengths of time, different intensity, yes, but we will camp in this place. I can guarantee you that. And so, with that small, brief introduction under the belt, I want to do two things this morning. Just two things. I want us just to consider very briefly the why question. Why would we go through this? Why, would we, why do we experience seasons like this? But I don't want to camp there. I want to be as brief as I can. And then I want to give us some handles. I'll try and get as practical as I can as to how do we respond. How do we respond? Not if, when we hit a season like this. So let me jump in. First of all, why do we sometimes feel like God has abandoned us? And the first reason I want to offer us is that sometimes God hides from us to alert us to our need for repentance or our need to seek Him. You see, when you are a follower of Christ, when you've decided that the gospel makes sense, Jesus died on the cross for you, you've invited him into his life, you become an apprentice of Jesus, and you begin to follow him, when that happens, you need to know that the righteous standing that you have with God can never be undone. Never. We will never lose that reconciliation. Thank goodness my standing with God does not depend on me and my behavior. That would have been a disaster. But that's a given. But I tell you what, 
seasons of unrepented, persistent sin will damage you. And it will damage your closeness with God. And it will grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what would happen. And so many scriptures speak of this, that, that if there is willful disobedience or unrepented secret sin, that we're going to experience this desert. And so this morning, I want to I just ask you to ask yourself this question. And to say, God, is there anything in my life right now that's grieving you in any way? By anything that I do or anything that I don't do? Anything. Anything that you want me to repent of. You see, my friends, I so want us to get this. That the Holy Spirit brings conviction. But never... Does it bring conviction to shame us? Never. When the Holy Spirit brings conviction, the end result is always more of God's power, more of God's peace, more of God's joy. I cannot bring conviction this morning. The elders of the church, lift cannot bring conviction to your life. That is the Holy Spirit's job. All I can do is to make a little bit of space for you to say, God, if there's something in my life, won't you point it out? And the whole point of that is that God wants to remove it. He wants to get it out of the way. And so you can come to Him this morning in openness and you can pour out your heart before Him and you can say, God, I bring you this. I don't like it and I know it grieves you. Won't you help me to get rid of it? That perhaps there's no blatant sin in your life at all. Perhaps you are just not seeking God. James 4 says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. There I say that the problem that many of us are running into is we've stopped drawing near. Are you drawing near to God this morning? You see, we're quick to say, God, where are you? You're hiding from me. But more often than not, we are hiding from Him. This is not a rebuke. This verse, draw near to God and He will draw near to you, is a promise. Have you stopped drawing near? Draw near to God. If there's stuff in your life that's bothering Him, come clean before Him. Man, there's, there's forgiveness in this there's a peace and a hope and a joy coming our way. Why do we want to stand in the way of that? A second potential reason I want to offer us is that sometimes God hides from us to test and deepen our trust in Him. You see, when God seems to hide, will we continue to love, trust, obey, and worship Him? Will you do that? Will you do so even if there's no physical evidence of God's work in your life? You can't feel His presence. You don't experience His presence. Will you continue to worship Him? Because time will come when I'm not prophesying doom over you. I'm just stating a fact. Time will come when your life will fall apart or elements of your life will fall apart. Things will go wrong. That will happen. That's what happened to Job. 
In one day, he lost his family, his friends, his possessions, his health, everything gone. For 37 chapters, God doesn't say a single word to him. Nothing. He writes, he says, I go to the east, but he's not there. I go to the west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I turn to the south, but I cannot find him. And you know what's the most amazing, incredible truth about this person and this book? Is that despite all of that, despite what Job is experiencing, the heartache, the pain, what does he do? How does he respond? He lifts his arms up and he says, oh God, I praise you. I worship you. I'm so relieved that my life is in your sovereign hands. How did Job do this? Well, he understood that his circumstances could never influence the way that God feels about him. Never. So we have to separate those. Sometimes God hides to purify our worship. Hear this in the nicest possible way. But if we're seeking a feeling in worship, rather than seeking God, we are fooling ourselves. I believe we are true worship this morning. I believe the words that we were singing were ringing loudly in heaven. The team led us so well. In fact, we could have gone for coffee. Why? Because those are the words from our hearts. It's got nothing to do with the feeling. We make this mistake. We're looking for a feeling and when it happens, we think, oh, we've worshipped. We haven't worshipped. In fact, often God removes a feeling because He doesn't want us to rely on the feeling. When you're a brand new Christian, a brand new follower of Christ, God will answer your most self-centered prayers and He will comfort you and He will give you some words and to get you on the road. But over time, He will wean you of those things. And so our challenge is to worship at the deepest level. And the deepest level worship looks like this. It's praising God in spite of pain. It's thanking God during a trial. It's trusting Him when tempted. It is surrendering when suffering. It is loving Him when He seems distant. That, my friends, is what true worship looks like. So how do we respond? How do we respond to that reality? If, if these are the reasons why we could go through seasons when we just don't seem to feel God, we don't feel His presence, we feel abandoned, what do we do with this? Well, the first thing I want to suggest is that we don't confuse our circumstances with God's feelings about us. You see, this is where Asaph seems to lose the plot. We read in verse 2, that he's going through a tough time. The verse says that he's in distress. And then we jump to verse 8 and he asks this question, has your love vanished? What is Asaph doing? He's doing what you and I do all the time. We jump to a conclusion because life doesn't work, doesn't fit my little system, whatever you want to call it. Life doesn't go according to my plan and I begin to question God. And God wants us to grow up. 
He wants us to, our trust to be deepened, our friendship to be purified, and our worship to be clean before Him. And if we want to do that, we need to learn to separate our circumstances with how God is feeling about us. Folks, we have to do that. Because there will come a time when things may just go horribly wrong for you. I was just, when I was sitting there, when Ken and, and Christine prayed with, with, with Julia, I was thinking about this. I honestly cannot think of a better illustration. I don't know all the detail, but I know for more than the three or so years that we've been in this church, man, Julia's gone through stuff that is unimaginable. You think you, you conquer the one thing and the next thing hit you from the side. And then on Tuesday nights over Zoom, we pray together. And so many times I've stood up from my chair and I said, this is, this, it's, it gobsmacks me. With somebody who can be disappointed day after day after day, can come to a prayer meeting and cry out for others and worship God and praise Him and lift His name. And I ask, how can this be done? It can be done Exactly because Julie has learned to separate her circumstances from how God sees her. And we have to do this, my friends. This is where, this is where Job outclasses Asaph. Listen to how Job responds. He says, then he fell to the ground in worship. This is after he's lost everything. And said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, Job realized, despite everything that I'm going through, God is worthy to be praised. He is the creator of heaven and earth. And so Job will say to us, don't be troubled by trouble this morning. We sometimes, we get so overwhelmed by, by anxieties and circumstances and we're so discouraged. So I want to encourage you. I really want to do this. And I'm, I'm doing this from a platform of somebody who, who's tasted a fair amount of pain in my life. You have to separate the love of God from what you're experiencing. You have to do that. And the irony is that most of the time, we can't do anything about that stuff anyway. Paul teaches us, he says, man, don't, don't get an ulcer by worrying at night. And so this morning, doesn't matter what you are going through, you need to know that God knows exactly. He knows everything about you. He knows your challenges, your hope, your fear, your sin. And so we can run to Him. And we can open up our lives and say, God, I, this stuff doesn't make sense to me. But what I have, I bring to you. And you know what the incredible thing is. The promise that the Bible gives us, the end result of all that, is that a supernatural peace will come upon our lives. A peace that you and I cannot understand. A peace that's not rational. A peace, dare I say, that our culture will pay anything for. They will look for it in money, power, and pleasure. And God's saying this morning, here it is, my friends. Here is the peace. Don't worry. Your world doesn't rest on your shoulders. It rests on God's shoulders. And so, come to Him this morning, honestly, sincerely, 
and partake in this peace. Partake in this peace. Second handle I want to offer to us for consideration is to focus on who God is. To focus on His unchanging nature. We sang about that this morning. And here we can learn from our friend Asaph. Listen to how he deals with it in um, verse 13. We haven't read that part yet, but I'll do, it, I'll do so now. It says, Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. What is Asaph doing here? He says, regardless of how I feel, regardless of my experience, regardless of God abandoning me or hiding me, I'm going to hang on to God's unchanging nature. He reminds himself what we all know is eternally true, that God is good, that God is in control, that God cares for us, that God pour, us, pour His love into our hearts. Double click, double click, double click. And when Job's life fell apart, he looked for reasons to believe in God. And he names them. This is so awesome. He gives it to us. I'll, I'll quickly remind us. Job 10, 12, that God is good and loving. 42.2, that He is all-powerful. 31.4, that He notices every detail of my life. 34.13, that He is in control. 23.14, that He has a plan for my life. And 19.25, that He will save me. What is Job doing? What is Asaph doing? What did Mother Teresa do? They hang on to God's unchanging nature and His character. And we are so quick to run when things go haywire. But this is an amazing promise. God hasn't changed. God is still God. He's still in control. He's still in control of your life and mine. And related to this is the third thing, is that to trust God to, trust God to keep His promises. Trust God to keep His promises. Some of you look at me really confused. Maybe I'm, I can try and clear up a little bit of the confusion here. You say to me, Krista, when you say that, that God is hiding, do you mean that He has left me? Uh, it's a good question. And my answer is an emphatic no. Hebrews tells us that God will never leave you nor forsake you. And so God's hiddenness is for whatever reason, we don't feel the nearness of God, but nevertheless, He is right there. He is real no matter what you feel. Tim Keller says this, he says, Desire not emotion to feel God, but desire God, and you might feel His presence. And so God never said that you would always feel His presence. His presence. He merely promised His presence. And so we need to separate these two things. The omnipresence of God. God is everywhere all the time. And the manifestation of His presence. The one is fact. The other one is feeling. And so God is always present. Even when you are totally unaware of Him. And His presence is too profound to be measured by pure emotions. 
And of course he wants us to sense his presence. But he's way more concerned that you trust him than that you feel him. Because faith pleases God, not feelings. And so when God seems far away, the best thing we can do is, like Asaph did, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't even experience you. Are you even there? But I'll decide to worship you. I'll decide to call on your greatness. I'll decide to hang on to your promises because you will never leave me or forsake me. And then handle number four is remember what God has done for you in the past. Asaph does this so beautifully. In verse six he says, I remembered my songs in the night. Asaph couldn't experience God's presence. He couldn't feel him. He, he felt like God's left him. And so what does he do? He remembers him. You see, God's real not just because of us feeling his presence. God's real because of what he's done for us. And Asaph looks at his circumstances. He looks at everything that he's experiencing. And he can't feel God. And he goes back to his track record. Verse 10 says, Then I thought, this is Asaph, Then I thought, To this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. With your mighty arm you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, through your footprints, though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock. See what Asaph does here? He goes back to when God rescued his people out of Egypt from slavery. Folks, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have at least one major miracle to think about all the time. But we forget. We forget. And so this is a powerful handle. Remember what God has done in your life. I don't know all your stories, but I can guarantee you in this room, we can tell incredible stories of what God has done in, in His lives in front of me and online. So go back there. I've forced myself lately to do that. When I reflect on the most incredible miracles that God has performed in my life, way and above anything I could ever imagine. And then number five, take the focus off yourself. You say, Krista, what is this all about? Well, Paul was a master at this. He writes to the church in Philippi. He says this, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day that Jesus comes again. It is right for me, Paul writes, to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in change, in change or defending and confirming the gospel, 
All of you share God's grace with me. Paul is in jail as he writes this. Right? Now, I have it on good authority. I haven't been there myself, but I have it on good authority that jails are not nice places. And Paul has already been beaten. He's been mocked. He's been scorned. What does he do? Does he respond by throwing a pity party and saying, God, don't forget, I am your man. I am the one who is supposed to take the gospel to the Gentiles. You're talking to superstar number one here. Have you forgotten about me? <laughs> what does he do? He begins to look for what God is doing in other people's lives. And he's beginning to celebrate this. There will be times in your life when you can't see what God is doing in your life. Take the focus of yourself and look at what God is doing in other lives. And you will be encouraged. You'll be blown away. That's what Paul is doing here. He's celebrating with the, with the Philippi church. Man, I remember when we planted that church, we walked that road. That road, people came together. People got saved. He's, he's throwing a party because of what he's seeing God is doing in other lives. This is so powerful. And I know it's hard when you're in the middle of a crisis and all you see around you is black and a deep dark hole. I'm not minimizing it. I'm not offering you just a quick fix here. This is a journey. But I want to say, look at what God is doing in other people around you. In this community, God has healed people. He has saved people. He has restored people. He has rescued marriages. And we get so consumed with our own little world that we don't see these things this morning. And so if you feel like God is hiding, begin to look what He's doing in other lives. I, I got a fresh reminder of that recently when I just walk a road, still walking a road with someone who's just had... Man, disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. You know, it feels like somebody's slapping you on this jaw and then on this side and on that. It's just relentless, never ending. Which does lead us at a point in time to say, God, where are you? Where are I don't see your promises in my life. And then just slowly but surely, God begins to move. Not answering all the prayers even but just begins to move in on another heart that he wants to rescue, restore, and revive. And I witness that. And I see that. And it blows my mind. I don't always have to experience what God is doing for me. I can celebrate what God is doing in the life of others. And so these handles that I try to share with us this morning may or may not be helpful. Some of you may feel, man, my life is, is spinning out of control this morning. Or perhaps you feel on the other side of the spectrum, it's just drifting along. It is so random. Or perhaps some of you genuinely feel like God has abandoned you, that He's forgotten your cries for help. I want to say, whatever emotion is running through your heart and your mind this morning, I want to point you to Jesus. You see, Asaph lived before Jesus. You and I 
have the privilege to live on this side of the cross, how much more reason do we have to praise Him? And one of the greatest threats to our faith is that we become so familiar with the cross that the cruel details of that make no more impression on our lives. Even before Jesus was crucified, He was stripped. He was beaten into a pulp. He was mocked and scorned. He was treated worse than any animal. He was forced, while blood was pouring off out of his body, he was forced to carry a cross up the hill where the most excruciating, painful death awaited him. But that wasn't the worst. The worst was the emotional pain he suffered when he called out to his father, who he experienced abandoned him in that moment. And he had to carry the sins of the world. So he was physically, emotionally, and spiritually beaten up. And you ask yourself, why did God allow this? Jesus, why did you have to go through all of this? And we know that that took place. You and I will never have to be abandoned again. We will never have to be separated from our Creator. And Jesus began a revolution that not only changed time, literally, but a revolution that changed the world forever. And this morning, that revolution invites us to come and sit at His feet. Not only to be formed, but to be transformed. Jesus alone can rescue your deepest wounds and heal your greatest pain and restore a sense of lostness that you may carry within you. Folks, this isn't about getting a cheap ticket into heaven. This is about a lifelong surrender to say yes to Jesus every day of our lives that we would sit at his feet that the life, death and the resurrection guarantees us the hope, the joy and the peace that we heard about this morning. You and I will never feel abandoned again. With Jesus, there is unimaginable joy. Without him, there is unspeakable hopelessness. And so this morning, if we feel that God has left the room, if we feel like God hasn't heard us, if we perhaps feel like God is hiding from us even at this very moment, I want to say that the cross is the most powerful reminder that you and I can ever have that He's done the exact opposite, that He's as close as this to us this morning. And inviting you and I to be with him. That is a reason to get out of bed on a Monday morning. Amen.